Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid with faculty on their time as a student. These are the conversations that profs and students should have, but can't. Exploring the intersecting needs of students, faculty, the education system, and the job market as a whole. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Whiteboard Podcast. My guest today is Scott McMahon. We're suggesting that for a junior, a great idea is preferred to um, polished execution of a mediocre idea or polished execution that sort of guts the heart of a great idea. But if you're a graduate, you're a junior, you're applying for jobs, you might feel self-conscious about having, let's call it half-finished work in your portfolio or sketches in your portfolio, comps of an ad. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how can I show the world my great idea in a way that doesn't make me look like I'm not ready for the professional world. Yeah, I mean, that is, that's a tough one. Because, you know, I think, as I said, that there's this tendency, even within the industry, to want to see stuff being more finished. And I think that there's also this this tendency to forget that you came from that location. You know, that everybody was a student or a junior or entry level at some point. And, you know, people forget that they either one didn't have the skills or didn't have the resources to flesh out their idea. So I, I don't know. It's a tough one because I guess for, for me, and again, this is all me. This is not the industry. This is Scott McMahon and his opinion, but that's what I would rather see, you know, up until the pandemic for the longest time, especially as a junior in Toronto, I would just call up people to see if they would look at my portfolio. I didn't care if they had a job. I just wanted to meet the people that were at the top and get their feedback so that I can hear their feedback. I'm not necessarily going to act on everybody's feedback. I'm going to listen to it if it resonates with me, or maybe if enough people say it, I can say, oh, yeah, that, that I see that now, or I'm going to stick with my guns or whatever. You know, because I think back to when I was in school, I wasn't showing people my paste up. I was showing people my ideas. I was showing them my comps, my, my, you know, my marker renderings, my Pantone, Chromatech comps. I wasn't showing finished artwork. Correct me if I'm wrong. It would have been really hard to do that in the, in the eighties. How would you even get photography? Like you would call Getty and they would mail it to you. Yeah, well, back then, stock photography was magazine or books and stuff that they yeah. sent you, and or you would go down to Getty, or you would talk to somebody right. on the phone, and then they would put, somebody there would research and get you, like, two sleeves full of 35 millimeter slides and maybe some two and a quarters, and they would send them to you, and you would look at them from a stock yeah. photography standpoint, but a lot of times you were hiring photographers. I think what I'm clumsily saying is, there's an expectation that today it's much easier to produce a a polished product from your living room um, than it was 40 years ago. Oh, for sure. I'm, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Okay. But what I'm saying is that for me, you could show me something that's super finished and super slick, but if there is no idea behind it, I don't care about it. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Right. Like, as you said, it's, easy to mock up something oh my god it's so easy to mock up something i mean you could mock up a package you could mock up anything but if there isn't an idea behind it 
and, and and maybe there are people that get caught up in seeing the finished piece and are like, yeah. ooh. We don't need another person who can put floating heads on a movie poster with different colored lights in the background and, you know, photo bash a, a generic but print-ready movie cover. We need someone who can right. put a concept out. Right. Again, maybe it's because I'm old or whatever. But if I see a sketch and the sketch is okay, it doesn't even have to be a good sketch. Because the advantage I find with a sketch is that, you know, if I did a sketch for, and this is why movies do storyboards that are sketches and not photos, because there needs to be interpretation by the people along the way. As a seasoned professional, I should be able to look at a sketch and go, okay, I can see it. I know what the intent here is. From that sketch, so let's say somebody is showing me a, an ad campaign. They, you know, they're graduating from school. They, they're showing me this whole ad campaign. I can talk to them about how they envision the photo because maybe the, the vision they have hasn't been photographed yet. You know, how often do you watch a commercial and you're like, ah, oh, wow, I really like what they just did with that video effect because you had never seen it before. Yeah. Well, if you had never seen it before, how do you portray it in a storyboard? Well, you don't, you don't find it in another commercial. There's a trust level of this sketch and working with a storyboard artist to convey the, the, the basics of the idea, but not necessarily the finish of the idea, you know, from that sketch as an art director, creative director, I'm going to be like, this is fantastic. Now we're going to call in, we're going to call in like two or three photographers. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to show them that sketch. And then I'm going to let them talk to me about that sketch. Because then they're going to be like, oh, here's the headline. Here's the approach. You know what we could do? We could light it this way. We could light it this way. Now you're starting, you have an idea. Now you have something that's going to grow. If I take a photo of something that somebody already did or an illustration or whatever, and I just show it to somebody, it's hard for uh, people's, especially clients, to get past what they've already seen. I feel like a finished product says to people, here's what you have. Here's what it is. A sketch asks, what do you see? And one of them is a generative discussion, and one of them is a prompt, and the other one is nothing, right? Right. Here's what it is versus what do you see? And yeah. we really want to know what people see. Because that tells us if the idea communicates or not. I think uh, we, uh, I don't know if you know uh, Frank Zulu from um, Zulu Alpha Kilo. Some students presented to him and he said, rather than tell me what your idea is, show me your idea. And then I'm going to tell you my reaction to it. And then you're going to tell me if that's the reaction that you're hoping to provoke. And, you know, without getting into the details of that, I thought it was like a really good way to evaluate whether or not the messaging is working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, there's, I mean, lots, lots of different people have lost, lots of different approaches on how they present and showcase and encapsulate ideas. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that everything I do is a sketch. Everything I do usually starts as a sketch, even today. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I use, I've got my iPad, I've, you know, and depending on how I want it or the depth or the kind of sketch I could work in procreate. I could work in 
um good book good is it good books i don't never heard of it it's a it's like a note taking but what it is is super nice um the way in which it draws mm. is super nice from a sketching standpoint but if i need to sketch something with a little more shade then maybe i'll use procreate or i'll use i use lots of different tools um whatever's going to help get my idea across because on the first level i i i might you know i need to necessarily make sure that my creative director or whoever is on board with the idea. And then, you know, uh, but, but even though I'm still, and I, I still get challenged to make stuff more finished because clients need to see things more finished. And it's like, yeah, then we've done a bad job. We've done a bad job. If, if their expectation is finished when the idea, you know, because a lot of times we're trying to, depending on what it is, we're trying to be pushed to be new and different and, you know, engaging. And it's hard to do that with existing props and parts mm -hmm. from that standpoint. It, it's, it's a constant battle, but for me, maybe for students, it's trying to bridge it and have the best of both worlds. As I said before, like, and this isn't a, an elitist thing, but they're not going to be better than me at Photoshop or Illustrator or After Effects or InDesign or whatever. They're just not. Um, and that's not because I'm better. It might be, but it's just because I've been using those programs for so long that I know so many nuances and tricks and how to get stuff done and that it doesn't, I don't care about how they produce something. It also means you know that they're going to get to the point you need them to be soon, sooner or later. I would like to think that everybody wants to explore and learn more, but I would be disingenuous if I said that that's everybody, but it's not. Not everybody goes into this industry. For some people, it's just a job. And not ever, even for the people who, where it is just a job, not every single one of them says, okay, I'm really good at Photoshop. I want to master in design now. You know, a lot of people are like, no, I don't do, I don't use that software. That's not me. Yeah. I mean, like somebody just even minutes ago said they don't really use Photoshop, right? Like, <laughs> I think the demands of my uh, creative practice at this point in time don't drive me towards that tool. Right. You know, the way that I would put it in terms of my effectiveness, I would say that I'm like 90% effective with InDesign, probably like 85% effective with Illustrator but probably maybe only like 45% effective with Photoshop. And a lot of that has to do with being colorblind. Do you put those power bars on your resume? No. On my resume, I list what I am, uh, you know, expert in just as a list, but I don't put power bars. No, I'm not a fan of the power bars. Yeah. To each his own. I mean, it's interesting, but I think that there's, um, the, the challenge I have with that is that who measured it? <laughs> Yeah, like sure. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, 95 for InDesign, but I also like to think that I could back it up. I mean, what I didn't talk about is, you know, I spent four years on the beta team for InDesign for releases CS, uh, one to four. Um, so I was, I mean, there's a, a number of features that are in InDesign because of suggestions from me, coming from a place where software was not part of my mandate in school because they didn't it didn't exist. Um, but I, everything that from a digital software standpoint has been mostly self-taught and picked up along the way, but then I, I haven't stopped there. You know, I've added, mm -hmm. I, I can, I can work around sketch. I don't want to, but I can, 
PowerPoint, Excel. I'm so happy you said that because students have a lot of, many students have an amount of anxiety around learning the software. And I'm in a two-year program, so there is a lot of, oh, we need to spend more time learning software. We talk too much about ideas and critique, and I wish we had more software training. Where, where do you feel the time should be spent when you only have a limited amount of time? It's obviously not a question. I'm not looking for a percentage breakdown. No, no. There is this desire from the students coming in that for some reason they equate software knowledge with expertise in the field. Yes. So there is this desire to, to believe that it, if, if only I knew InDesign, if only I knew Illustrator, if only I knew Photoshop, then I could be this thing, this art director, this graphic designer. But that is not the full equation. Um, but at the same time, if you had a school that, that you did everything sort of traditionally and they did sketches and marker renderings and all that stuff, and you just did nothing but, you know, ideation and uh, campaign exercises and all that stuff, you know, they'd get to the end of two years or three years and they would be unemployable because they wouldn't be able to sit at a computer in an office or at their home working remotely to be uh, an effective part of a team. But at the same time, if all you did was teach them software, they wouldn't be able to add to the conversation at work around ideas and how to facilitate taking an idea and, and working on an idea. So we have those two sort of at odds considerations. I only have my experience. I can only talk about my experience. But when I was in school and there were no computers, we, we weren't filled with trying to learn the software. But now you've got like a two or three year program. You're trying to teach the students how to, to be race car drivers. That's the idea part. But at the same time, you're teaching them how to build the car, which is the software part. And they're at odds with each other because you want to be able to say to them, okay, just do the, you know, come up with some sketches. I want, you know, 25 sketches for logos by next week. And for some reason, there's this thought that they have to go to the computer. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't even know the software, they're going to muddle their way through to try and hammer out 25 ideas, which are going to be completely handcuffed by the fact that they don't have skill on the computer. But if they did 25 sketches with a pencil on a piece of paper, they could easily do 25 ideas relatively easy as long as it's you know, that they understand how to, to think and draw and sketch like that, you know? And I mean, in your, in your, the two years going to be even more limited because I would assume, uh, I'll, 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 I'll mention classes. You tell me if, the, if they're part of the curriculum. And these are classes that I had when I was in school life drawing. Yes. Really? Okay. For how many semesters? Uh, okay. Yeah. No, it's a unit in the drawing class. Okay. Yeah. So you have a drawing class. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. How many semesters? How many semesters? Two. 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 Do you have color theory? One. I don't teach it, but I graduated ten years ago, and we were still painting. But I don't think they do anymore. Okay. Or no, design history. 
Uh, no, they, they switched it to, it's called Survey of Marketing. So it's more marketing history focused. Oh, okay. I agree, by the way. Yeah. So that, what I just listed, like color theory was three semesters. Drawing was four semesters. Life drawing was four semesters. Um, and, that, and it was like every week, life drawing. Somebody came in, got naked, and we drew them. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think they're, they do that once. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Like, it, like, and there was no, like, buffer. Like, I, I was fortunate that I had taken a couple of life drawing classes in high school, like night courses. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, most of the class, like, and it was, again, one of those combined classes. So there was close to 100 students. Yeah. And the, the first model was a male model. And he oh. came in in a robe, went up to the sort of the center where he would pose yep. and like got to the top and dropped his robe. And you could audibly hear people like, oh, oh, OK, we're doing this now. OK, okay. yeah, yeah. But but let me tell you, that's a, that's an extension of the sketching component. Yeah, for sure. You know, if we take away the comfort or the idea that sketching or drawing is part of the the process, you know, the more we can make it part of the process and, and part of their repertoire, the easier it's going to be for them to sketch ideas. Tell me if I'm understanding. You don't necessarily lament the loss of the ability to draw naked people. We're lamenting the loss of drawing in general as a way to explore thoughts and understanding of shape and color and, and meaning. Yeah. 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 Because for four semesters, once a week, for three hours, you would have, you would go in with one huge pad of newsprint paper and charcoals and pencils. The, the instructor, uh, who was a great instructor, Terry Flegel, he'd say, okay, right, we're going to do four 15-second gestures with charcoal. It's not about drawing a naked person. The reason that you do that is because the person can change and pose differently immediately. Nobody has to set up something. Mm-hmm. And you've got all kinds of things like tension and softness and, you know, the sculpted aspect of certain muscles or uh, tension in how they're holding their hands or all kinds of things. What you learn is that you get, you're like, what is the essence of this person in this pose right now? And then you would do like 30 second gestures, then one minute gestures, then you would do five, five minute studies, maybe half an hour studies. But, but he also did stuff like there was one where we had to do, we had to, he brought in a, a pillowcase and everybody had to reach in and whatever they grabbed out of the pillowcase, they had to use to draw. Yeah. So like, I think I got like an egg beater. Oh, you could use a pencil, but then you had to figure out how to attach the pencil. Yeah. Right. So now the exercise isn't so much about drawing what you're seeing. It's about being able to try and draw what you're seeing. Right. So there was very much a method to it that. As you said, it's not just about drawing nude people. It's about being able to know that, that you can sketch and you have that ability to sketch and put an idea down on paper. Yeah. And, lear and learning, I, you know, I feel like I mapped something in my brain. My, my learning experience was with a guy named Bruce, Bruce Sherman. Um, and it was really similar to yours right down to the pillowcase. I got, I got Peter Pan. It was like a personal discovery when I realized that if I think about this form as a problem i can find out how to like discover that shape by drawing motions right gestural and then refining and just understanding that it's a way to explore a problem 
in de- in, in, in any in anything, whether it's design or drawing, was like a personal transformation almost that you don't mm-hmm. necessarily get with computers. Yeah, most people that go into graphic design or advertising have somewhat of an art leaning. You don't have to, but yeah. I would I would guess that a large percentage are able to draw. Yeah. But what you, you know, I think what, especially things like life drawing and, you know, just talking with other teachers and having different kind of courses is that you learn that you have to stop drawing and start seeing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's what happened. That's what I was trying to describe. In that 15 second gestural, it's not about capturing that whole person. It's about capturing what they were doing. Mm. And if you can do that, if you can synthesize something down, that is no different than designing logos. You're that is no different than designing posters. Man, that's, that's, oh, about, I just want to clarify. If you're sketching on digital, like Procreate on a tablet, we're, I'm talking about that too. I'm including that in this conversation. I don't know about you, Scott. Yeah, I want, I, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I just want people to sketch. I just wanted to clarify this because some, some people might think, that we're we're meaning it has to be uh ink paper yeah on paper no 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 oh no i i i toggle between the two though i will like because for me there is something as well to the sound of drawing and the ability to move a page around although i don't know if you've done this but i i seriously have drawn on paper and then tried to pinch in closer I definitely have a an undo instinct where I I'll, I'll make a mistake and then like my brain thinks oh just undo it so that's yeah. what I get just control Z yeah. Z that yeah I'm just gonna command Z that yeah oh oh I I did that okay I use different size canvases like but my go to sort of size canvas in Procreate is like four thousand pixels by four thousand pixels because um, it then gives me a nice fineness to my pen. But the one that I will use, I'll toggle between like a 6B pencil brush and the ink bleed brush. Mm. And those are, those are the two I use for sketching. Cool. Um, because I want it to actually just be a sketch. Again, black and white. I don't, it's just about the idea. Um, but, but paper, but what's nice about paper, and it's funny, I just did this with a, a project, is what's nice about paper is that paper is dimensional. You can fold it, you can rip it, you can uh, cut it, you can do all kinds of stuff. So that, again, that's another avenue to explore stuff because something, a solution might be three-dimensional. It doesn't have to be flat. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it goes back to the idea that I just want students to not necessarily feel that they have this very narrow delivery system Mm. for their ideas. When you go into... I'll say a boardroom, but when you go into a meeting in in a room that looks like a boardroom and you have sketches and that's how you're presenting and there's markers out and stuff, that experience is so much so different than um, everyone pulling up the the file on their laptops and like everyone staring, you know, just having that out there um, and inviting sketches will invite people to join in in a way yeah. that even printed. You know, and again, if you're going to print it, okay, so let's say you do a digital design, you print it and you bring that to the meeting. Well, everything's on eight and a half, eleven, and it's, you know, it, it, it screws up the size. Whereas again, sketches, it's big. 
um, I'm talking about paper sketches, you know, it just needs a different experience. But to that end, in terms of presentation, because that's a, that's a, another whole different beast. Yes. Um, because there's there's an art to presenting. I'm I am talking about with your colleagues, not going to the client with. But e- even then, there's an art to presenting. You know, and the and part of the art is not just showing it. <laughs> that um, we need to be storytellers in the truest sense that um because when you just show something when you just see something especially in the rough concept stage you need to understand the backstory you need to understand how did wolverine get the metal spikes it's because there's this tendency now to just sort of make a pdf and send it and it's like, but somebody's going to open that without context. You don't know how they're feeling, um, yeah. all kinds of things. So how you're presenting it, how you're framing it is so important, whether it's to colleagues, your boss, or to the client. What's going to change is like how you tell the story and the depth and the props that you're going to use to get that across. But you know, presenting is not just about putting it up on a board somewhere and and saying here. You know, so uh, for me, what I they don't get to see anything until I've done I'm done talking. I need them to be in the right mindset and understand where I came from and what the challenges were, so that when they see my solution or my solutions, they have an understanding of where they fit into the narrative almost to the point especially for clients that by the time i present what the visual that they're like well yeah this is the solution yeah because i've spelled it out that way yeah i i I think i read you did i have that knowledge when i left school not at all Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't in it, in it. I don't look at it and think like, you know, my, my professor should have done this or this. And it's like, they, they were doing their job of teaching what they had to teach me. There are so many other ancillary aspects of this industry that just come a long time. Sometimes I feel like the whole industry is ancillary aspects. Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, right. It's... Because you, at no point, at no point. In school, did anybody suggest I read a book about psychology or more? Or project management. Yeah. Susan Weinshank is a psychologist, is a PhD. She wrote a book, 100 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About People, and I recommend that. And I also do recommend um, Norman, which wouldn't have been, neither of these would have been around when you were in school. So Don, Don Norman? Of course. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Don Norman hadn't published a book when I was in school, but I've read all of his books. I think psychology came out, I want to say like 88. Um, but another one to add to your list, the one that I would add um, two, but one is Stumbling Upon Happiness. Okay. Um, it is very interesting. And the other one is called uh, Freakonomics. Oh, I remember when that one came out. What's nice about Freakonomics is that it's not a book that overtly says, hey, this will be good for design and advertising. You have to sort of read it and be like, oh, I see what was happening here. Um, because the case studies, what they talk about, um, like the one that I'm a uh, school board in Chicago that got into trouble because teachers were cheating, helping their students for the 
standardized testing. Mm-hmm. When you read the story about how it got discovered, you, you can look at that on a on a level, a base high level, and be, and be like, that doesn't relate to what I do at all. And it's like, yeah, but but at the same time, it does because then you see like, well, maybe it, it means we have to change how we design forms or tests or how we uh, differentiate uh, things so that we're, we're making it harder for people to cheat or, you know, not everybody's going to have those jobs, but, you know, jobs in graphic design are across the board. We design forms. I mean, I've worked on forms for uh, FinTrack, which is a financial tracking um, agency in Canada that, that monitors money laundering and terrorist funding. I did forms for that. And then there was a collection of like, I think, eight different forms, anywhere from three pages to 11 pages. So taking into account, there's there's so many things that we end up being associated with, having better understanding of the human nature or the human condition totally helps us. So yeah. So um, what was the, the hundred things that designers should know? I'm going to Oh uh, yeah, Susan Weinshank. A uh, hundred, hundred things every designer should know about people. Uh, you know, there's a whole other podcast uh, that we could have cu- talking about psychology and how design is a social science, or could be studied as a social science, or how designers could be social scientists or should be social scientists. Um, well, well, they they are, and again, without getting too deep, I think the good ones they- are. Yeah, you know, and this is this is one of the challenges I have with the term like UI and UX. Is that you know, UX is being talked about in, in terms of this digital interface. You know, whether it's an app or a website, whether that website is desktop, tablet or mobile. Um and that that's where user interface. And it's like, yeah, but everything that we do is a user interface. <laughs> Like a business card is a user interface. It's a, there's a user interaction. It may not have a click, but if I design a poster for a play, I need to make sure that people know when the play is, where the play is, what time the play is, and how much the play is. Uh, I have to take the user into account. That's I'm advocating on behalf of the user in whatever I do whether it's digital or statically printed or experience or three-dimensional installation or whatever user experience is not restricted to pixels no i think that i think the fact that it may be perceived as a digital thing is just an accident of history because ux came out of hci human computer interaction which came out of you know nielsen and cooper and those guys were following on Norman, who was kind of a computer guy and started the um, for a user center design. So there's like that, that legacy of it growing out of digital spaces. But I 100% agree with you. There's no reason to think that UX, UX, the UX lens should not be applied and is not applied without calling it UX by graphic designers working in print or engineers designing a car and so on. Right. It's 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 all there. It's pretty cool too. Uh, once you start to see these worlds collapse, it's kind of like a full circle because designers, like when you think about in like the like let's say the fifties, and you think about the Eames or like Buckminster Fuller 
or you know even like Saul Bass these people designed in so many media that they were like print designers architects video people um well Ray Eames designed um an artificial limb like they were doing everything and and nowadays everyone thinks like oh I have to specialize I need to be like you know it's drill in and whatever it's like no your knowledge like your knowledge is universally applicable um anyone can use a well-trained designer because we bring that applied psychology to the table oh we should as you said i think we should and that and that just goes back to the catalyst of what was Bauhaus. you know that that gropius uh felt that design at its core was a language the execution of that language was architecture or interior design or graphic design or fashion design but the common voice and language of design was universal and it 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 was nuanced depending on the spoke you were emanating from the hub from so yeah that and that's why you get people like you know Ames or um Dieter Rams that didn't just stick to one thing that they did all kinds of things. Raymond Lowy. Oh, yeah, his stuff is amazing. It, it is harder nowadays to be um, sort of a Swiss Army knife. Too wide and too deep. Yeah, yeah. but there are there are people even currently like uh, the guy that always wears the oversized glasses, shaved head. Is it Rashid? I don't know. Um, Rashid, but like even Frank Gehry. Yeah, you know a number of different things. You look at somebody like even go outside of and go to more of an an art art like Dale Chihui, the glass artist. Yep, of course. Um, yeah, design is design is design to mm -hmm. me. I've always thought it was kind of the intersection, so that that the Venn diagram of uh, art and engineering. But maybe that's a little too pomp. I would add a circle to that because I think that art and engineering don't take into account people. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think you need a Venn, the a circle that Venn diagrams into it to be like people or um, dealing with people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on an advertising side, I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to play on emotions a lot of times. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get somebody to emotionally connect, and I might do it with a balance of art and engineering that might be an installation. But it has to be, it has to work well and it has to do this. For me, the pandemic was an interesting exercise in the design of store layouts. Mm. You know, when we were in a position when we were much more social distanced and where cash checkouts were, if you looked at it from a, a mapped it from a six foot diameter standpoint, all of a sudden, if you've got people at a cash and that cash is awkwardly located from a social distancing standpoint, you've now put merchandise that's near the cash out of reach of people looking at it because they don't want to invade the space of the, you know, so there's all kinds of aspects. So it's that, as, as you said, it's all, I'm just going to add that one of people to the, to the Venn diagram that design, like, you know, transcendent design sits in the middle mm -hmm. and then, you know, in the, in the double overlaps and stuff, there are the various forms of art engineering and people. And that would apply across, you know, like architects have to take into account of people. Engineers have to take into account how many cars could be on this bridge so it doesn't, you know, before it collapses. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it's all part of all equations. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe it just goes all the way back to um, uh, pathos, ethos, and, and, and logos for the, the convincing argument. So in marketing design, your pathos would be your, um, your, your <clears throat> human element, then the ethos might be your artistic, and the logos would be your engineering element. And they're coming together like a triforce of power to get people to remember, remember a product and maybe even buy it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's so many aspects to what we do. It's, you know, it's not just picking a typeface. No, you know, I think, I feel like that brings us full circle, Scott, and it's been (laughs) a wonderful two hours. No, I mean, if you want to wrap it up, we can wrap it up. But, uh, you know, if you ever want to chat again, I'm, I'm open to it, but, uh, That'd be great. I'm 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 definitely gonna check out some of your live stream recordings. I'm gonna check into some um, of those because what's nice about the world that we're in right now, and this is where I think schools have to make a shift of some sort, is to understand the difference between facilitating ideas and teaching craft. Because YouTube has the ability to amazingly and you know, recorded sort of videos and stuff have an amazing ability to teach craft. Because you can stop it, you can rewind it, you can watch it as many times as you want to get the idea of of the craft that you're trying to pick up, whether it's InDesign or ceramics or whatever. But where schools, I think, are going to make their mark and, and still be relevant in the future is facilitating the advent of the idea. Because that is that is the the benefit that a school adds by having collaboration, by having uh, teachers that are able to help define, um, you know, synthesize to help students synthesize um, bigger idea, you know, into refined ideas or, you know, broad ideas into, you know, a very sharp pointed idea because you're not, you can't get that from, youtube because youtube is one directional yeah you are watching it you you can have an engaged conversation with your students and it's it's a conversation then they can they can learn what they need to learn in terms of technical aspect from youtube (laughs) or from existing sort of say humber videos or george brown videos or whatever i I mean you're 100 percent right that the colleges i mean if they want to survive we are going to have to recognize that the value is 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 critiques. The value is mentorship. The value is conversation, collaboration. Um, that's what we offer, yeah. not software training. I mean, I'm happy to do it, but right. if like that's not getting your that, that's honestly not spending your money wisely. No, it's not only the colleges, but that is part of it. I think will be student rebuff because again, it's getting the industry and students pass the notion that software is not your career. Software is just a, no, but it's still not your career. It is just a tool. Yep. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has kind of made a career as the guy who can make the software work and, and maybe not always the thinker and the bright idea person, uh, it's not the career you want. If you learned Illustrator at this point, and then you said, I'm just going to be a production artist doing Illustrator stuff, but you didn't learn more stuff about Illustrator as new things come out, then at some point you're going to be not relevant. 
Absolutely. It's just a tool and you have to keep, you have to keep adjusting the tools you use mm-hmm. and that's any, that's any industry. Yep. Um, but, but it is just a tool, you know, the idea is the thing that's going to separate you from other people. You really just summed up kind of the whole episode, I think. A wonderful note to leave it on. Hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's usable. It was great having you. I hope we can have you back online. I'm looking forward to tuning into your Behance live streams. It was, uh, it was fun. That was good.